Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb, and we are hot on the heels of some band action. I am writing about Pioneer this week, and we're going to be talking about Standard today, mostly because I hate Sultai Control. Such harsh words against Sultai Control. Do you hate that it's seemingly the best deck? Do you hate the way it's built? What is drawing your ire today about Sultai Control? All right, so first of all, hate is a strong word. I know that I just said that. Okay. Uh, that, that I hate Sultai Control. And hate is a word that I would not use to describe very many things. And I, I stand by my previous statement. I hate Sultai Control. I hate a lot of things about it. Wow. One of the things that I do want to point out here is that we have done a few podcast episodes in the past about how we basically just need to throw our heuristics in the garbage a lot of the time, uh, at least in modern magic, because a lot of the things that we thought were true are no longer true today. And this could certainly be one of those times. However, I, I still think I'm right in that. I think that this is a deck that is fundamentally flawed on a lot of different axes, but is still able to have success because of the fact that it's just playing a lot of powerful cards. And sometimes that's good enough. And Standard has had a lot of cards banned from it. Presumably those cards were supposed to tie up a lot of the power level that was going to be in the format when it was like going through development in R&D and stuff. And with that gone, there's I don't know, just like this power disparity. And Sultai pound for pound gets to play the most powerful cards or like I guess the most powerful interaction being like Nissa into Hydroid Crisis and all the other decks are doing like these kind of dinky, cute things that don't really stand up to that a lot of the time. But I, I, I feel like it's been a couple weeks. Uh, things, things should be able to change and it, it just hasn't happened. Instead, people have just doubled down and continued to play Sultai rather than trying to exploit this deck's weaknesses. Lot to unpack there. I, I want to hear more from you about these weaknesses, and we're going to do that as we move through this podcast. I share your opinion. I believe that Sultai. Wait, in so some do form, you do you hate Sultai? No, I don't hate Sultai. I, okay, I think there is a there is a problem here, and I am inclined to hate Sultai. If we rewind a little bit. We'll go back a couple months. And I proposed a seemingly unfathomable eight bands in standard to try and reset the format and felt a little silly about it. Six of those eight cards have since been banned. Do you know what the two that are left are? Nissa and Uro or Hydro Crisis. I think Nissa and Uro. Nissa and Uro are the cards that are left. And it does not surprise me whatsoever that the starting point for this format is Jam Nissa and Uro into a deck, put a bunch of powerful stuff around it, and just ride on the coattails of these cards being so, so much better than everything surrounding them. And it's frustrating to see these cards still propping up the best strategy right now. There's no other way of putting it. You wanted something new. And don't get me wrong, the standard's better. It's better than what we were doing before. Agreed. But not by as much as we would have hoped. And it's still bearing a lot of the same problems in that there are these cards that just 
snowball the game so, so hard. They're insurmountable. They invalidate everything that happened before them. And I would include Hydroid Crisis in this group of cards. I think those three cards together are the core of this strategy and are what is really complicating the efforts to try and build around this deck and adapt to this deck. Because no matter how well you do those tasks, these cards are so powerful that they'll just win games regardless. And I think that is a lot of the struggle we're feeling right now. And so people are running into that when they play their decks designed to challenge Shultai and they're coming away with, you know, 50% win rates, maybe in the best instances, 53, 54% win rates. And I think getting frustrated and going with the, if you can't beat it, join it style approach and signing up to play some Sultai mirrors. And if you've been on ladder over the last few days, that's about it. It's just mono Sultai. If you're looking at results coming in from the SCG qualifiers, Sultai basically winning everything. If you're looking at the big events that have happened thus far, it's all about Sultai. And despite that fact, I do not think these decks are built correctly right now. Yeah, and that's that's where my hate stems from. It's not necessarily this, this deck or uh, the fact that it's winning or any of that stuff. Obviously, Nissa into Krasis and Uro to bridge everything together is supremely frustrating to play against and there's not a whole lot of good counter counterplay to the card specifically i think matchup wise there is counterplay but i hate the fact that this deck exists it keeps winning and it has obvious flaws that are very exploitable and at least in this instance like we we have the tools and like this this deck is powered down compared to the the things that were standard monsters before the bans, you know, like try try getting a field to beat like the Luka deck or even not powered possible. down fires or you know Simic food stuff like that. It's like it was way harder to beat those decks than it is to beat this. I'm just mad that people are jumping on the bandwagon rather than playing things that beat it. Well, it's hard to blame anyone after what we've been through over the last few months. I mean, we basically came in week in and week out, we would identify the best deck in a format. And every week we'd show up and do our podcast and we'd say, nothing has changed. Keep playing this deck. And that's been the way the game has progressed for a while now. So you understand why people are quick to assume we may be in a similar type situation here. And like I said, this deck has some of those hallmarks. It's just more powerful than everything else. And we've talked a lot about how power is the focal point of the game right now. So I don't blame anyone for taking kind of a backseat approach to this deck. It's hard. It's frustrating. And I'm looking forward to exploring some of these fundamental weaknesses we're going to talk about because I think there's counterpoints to those weaknesses as well. And when this deck is built properly, I think it's going to actually account for all of them. But do you want to start the discussion there and maybe laying out some of what you see as the flaws and the points that can be attacked yes. in this yeah, deck? Yeah, so, so everything changes now. This is the podcast episode that is going to get people to play different things and actually beat up on that deck. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, not, actually, it's not actually going to happen, but in, in an ideal world, this would be what changes everything. So the problem with Sultai just from a holistic standpoint, is that it's using Uro to, you know, gain life, give you a little bit of a buffer, ramp up to Nyssa, also increase Nyssa's efficacy by having more lands on the battlefield, and then eventually you Hydra Crisis. And Simic Food used to do that with 
like Gilded Goose and uh, Paradise Druid, Grow Spiral, and they had Oko for their early game. And all the food stuff played into uh, like Wicked Wolf and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. And now you don't you don't have that early game, but this mid game is super strong. And e- even back to like the old Saltai decks, right? It was like you had the Explore package, and that was those were your removal spells effectively. Like Wild Growth Walker was your way to play defense against aggro. And now you don't have any of this stuff. You don't have these things that you can necessarily do proactively to fight off aggressive decks. So instead, this deck just has a pile of interaction. And it's not like it's good interaction, right? It's like, all right, we got you know some Eliminates, a Heartless Axe, some Aether Gusts, some Casualties, Extinction Events, Thought Erasures. These are all cards that are basically coin flips as to whether or not they're actually going to be good in the respective matchup. That all tracks. And the actual first point I went to to challenge these Sultai decks was mono black aggro. Thinking I'll invalidate their Aether Gusts. I assume they'll just fold to early aggression because they're not using their early game well. They often take off the first two turns of the game. And Mono Black Aggro just had a really nice performance at the Players Tour. It just seemed like everything was set up very nicely for Mono Black to step in. And I played uh, probably three or four matches of that matchup. I actually played the Sultai side. I was playing against my brother who was playing Mono Black. And it very quickly became clear to me that things had changed. And the main catch-up mechanism, which these decks were just not prepared for whatsoever, was Extinction Event. And these decks had found what seemed to be a pretty reasonable sweeper at a time when decks like Mono Black Aggro really couldn't appropriately change their game plan. Because we've talked a lot about the weak spot for Mono Black Aggro. It's been the two-drop slot for a long time. And your one drops are like, okay, your three drops are really good. And then two drops are a little off. Now, some of this is mitigated by like Spawn of Mayhem and getting an alternate casting cost on that. But it's really challenging to diversify your casting costs for Extinction Event. And the Uros were just enough. They were holding the door open just wide enough for me to slam these powerful spells on the battlefield. And Hydroid Crisis just takes games over. The snowball would start. And Mono Black Aggro just did not cut it whatsoever. I very quickly disqualified it as a possibility. Then Mono Red showed up. And Mono Red looked pretty good. I, I think like we saw some solid results from Mono Red from exactly the people you would think who would be playing Mono Red, who always do well with the deck. And they shifted away from some permanent sources of damage and went back to like Rimrock Knight and just a little bit more explosiveness, a little bit less vulnerability to something like Extinction Event. And then they realized the Euro problem was still there. And this deck has so much passive life gain that if you're not doing these large, chunky pieces of Ember Cleave damage, you're just not going to produce enough points of damage to be able to get them that way. So thus far, my two attempts to strike out against the Sultai Control deck with aggro have failed miserably. How about on your end? Have you found anything that seems promising? I never really thought of Mono Black as a way to potentially answer Saltai, basically because of the things that you mentioned, like Extinction Event is a really big one, and the fact that their one-drops are... like Knight of the Ebon Legion is usually very good. It does put a lot of pressure on uh, your opponent to like actually have adequate removal for it, but things like Gutter Bones, you can kind of just like take some hits and then invalidate the recursion aspect of it, and then 
Uh, serrated scorpion is just kind of embarrassing. And then, yeah. yeah, the two drops a lot is lacking. You basically just need to stick like a rotting regisaur, which is kind of dangerous against a deck that's trying to grind you out and has a bunch of spot removal or like spawn of mayhem or rankle or something like that. Like you need to stick a big threat because you can't let the game go on for forever. And you don't have a way to actually like close a game out once your opponent is kind of stabilized, especially since they have things like Uro and Krasis to gain a little bit of life back. And then you have things like the castle that can draw you some extra cards, but like Sultan is going to beat you by just going over the top of you. You know, it's like not, it's grind you out in the early game and then it's go over the top of you. So like that matchup never really seemed like it would be like the savior or whatever. However, Mono Red did. When you build the deck, similar to mono black where you're just a pile of creatures and then some ember cleaves. I think you have a lot of the same problems. Like mm-hmm. you're a little bit faster. Uh, Sultai doesn't really have a whole lot of blockers. So you don't have to necessarily worry about things like scorch spitter, not being good in combat or whatever, but you are still going to run afoul of like them having a bunch of spot removal, especially since their ether gusts are live against you. Uh, your casting costs are a little bit more spread for extinction event, but it's still, Uh, it's still pretty good against you. I mean, like they're going to be able to like kill one of your things and then kill two of your things with, with the extinction events. So that's not great. Annex threatens that a little bit, but yeah, usually they just like, you know, take the, the early points set up for the sweeper and that involves using removal spell to kill Annex. So what I would want to see from mono red is not necessarily going to a more burn based version. Like, you definitely have to deal your opponent more than 20 damage, your Sultai opponent. And the burn spells are like good against them in theory, but not in practice. And I, I think you just need to go back to the Cavalcade deck. And it's just, it's faster. It has permanent sources of damage and you have like a lower mana curve, more threats, and you're not reliant on a critical mass for, you know, things like Steamkin or Embercleave to be good. So uh, that seems like a good starting point. I think, think you would agree though that should Sultai want to beat that deck they would be able to quite easily right right but we're not talking about like oh what has longevity in the format long term right Right. we're trying to take shots yeah take shots to beat this deck next week and I I think that's one possible way that you could do it out of the the two decks that we've talked about like for mono black and mono red that is the only way that strikes me as like a potentially viable plan to attack them okay Let's talk about some of the other aggro decks that have floated around the fringes of the format thus far. The one which I would assign the most metagame share to is probably Rakdos Sacrifice, which I I think we mostly thought we were done with this deck, although you and I speculated last week it could still have some legs with the absence of Cauldron Familiar. This just looks like pretty generic mid-range-ish beatdown deck. You still have a lot of power rolled up in Priest of Forgotten Gods. And the card that I really like here, that again, if we're talking mono red and things it could do, uh, Claim the Firstborn, I think is just a very, very powerful card that first really started getting its legs under it against these Sultai decks. It became popular as a potential answer to Hydroid Crisis. And we're starting to see more of that happening. So any love for Rakdos Sacrifice as a deck that can challenge on this axis? Not if you don't have very grindy plan or a way to go over the top or like at least keep keep pace with them. Claim backed up by aggression sounds reasonable, but I think, I don't know, just like 
gutter bones, priests of forgotten gods, mayhem devil. Like they're, they're all just like these mopey creatures that are eventually going to die to things and not accomplish a whole lot while also not putting your opponent on a fast enough clock. So it seems like outside of like some fancy tricks, it is probably going to run into the same problems as mono black and the way mono red is currently built. Could buy that. One card I want to mention in this context is Bolus Citadel. That seems like a pretty real plan that they don't have great cards to line up against right now. Agreed. So I am surprised we haven't seen decks try and push that aspect of not only the Rakdos Sacrifice plan, but there's, there's other decks that can really get a nice chain going with Bolus and Citadel. That feels like a card that's underrepresented in the metagame right now. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, the Jun decks were playing Priests of Forgotten Gods basically just to accelerate into that card. And I think that that deck has more game as a whole against something like Sultai than Rakdos does because you have like trailer crumbs and you can actually grind with them and you can uh, do things like claim the firstborn, their crisis uh, to punish them for like, you know, finally trying to do their late game stuff and everything. And Mm -hmm. you have the tools to actually fight against Nyssa. So I, I would think that that would be better than Rakdos, but I also don't think that it's a perfect solution. Okay. Another deck really only popping up the last couple of days. Friend of the podcast, Nick Prince, had a 3-1 today in one of the standard challenges. Rakdos Knights. This is Ember Cleave stuff backed up a little bit by Drillbit. Looking a lot like a deck from, I, I don't know, when was the GP Portland? Wow, that was yeah. that feels like a really long time ago. Yeah, one of the last live tournaments, maybe the last live tournament I went to. Yeah, me too, where I was... Very, very sick. Let's not think about that too much. Uh, let's instead <laughs> focus on Rakdos Knights. Any belief in this deck? A little bit. It still has the same problems where you're like you're you're just a pile of creatures, right? And it's they're they're not they're not the good kind of creatures where it's like ETB do something and then your opponent kills them and you're still up a little bit. You know, it's they're they're just big, and you put Ember Cleave on them and hope to disrupt your opponent a little bit with Robit. I do like Stormfist Crusader. And think that that could be good, but this deck still has like the one drop problems, and you're relying on sticking a big threat so that you can make your Ember Cleaves good. But uh, definitely a big fan of main decking drill bit. And I guess if we're talking in the context of like mono black, I think they should be doing that too. Yeah, I agree with that. Disruption seems very, very important right now. One more shot at aggro that I'm pulling from these recent tournament results. Winota, and it seems like Mardu is starting to lose some steam, which I understand because I have had no trouble beating that deck whatsoever from the Sultai side. But now we're shifting to a Boros Winota deck, just a little bit more consistent, a little bit more on the aggro side of things. Legion Warboss able to steal some of those early games potentially. That's Any a perfect card against them. Perfect yeah. card against them. It seems like it. I mean, I will say there's more and more good answers finding their way into these decks. Like I think spot removal was not as widely played as it is now, particularly there's way more eliminates than there were before. Uh, Heartless Act has always been floating around. Ether Gust has been floating around, but I, I am seeing more and more two mana removal. So it is possible to catch that. But if you don't, this is the type of card that can run away with the game against Sultai. Well, it's, it's funny, right? Because they have all these shock lands and granted the deck has 28 lands, but you have like four or five triomes, uh, Fable Passage, which you would also want to crack on turn one. And then turn two, are you going to play a shock land untapped 
to try and catch their war boss. If I mean, if they do, like you know what you're what you're up against, what you're walking into, and then at that point you can just play a different uh, two or three mana creature and right. eventually force them to tap out at some point, and then you can war boss them and actually put them kind of far behind. Yeah, there's um, also like Tithe Taker, which punishes that plan pretty well as well. So yeah, yeah, I mean that's another solid card. Like basically, those cards like Tithe Taker and uh, Annex. That's kind of what you want against things like Extinction Events. And this isn't really anything new or groundbreaking. It's like, yeah, I want my thing that has a dice trigger against a sweeper, obviously. Mm-mm, but like, mm-mm, Gerald, that, that is not going to get the job done, unfortunately, against oh, Extinction ex- Event Exile. Exile. Oh, yeah. no. Okay. Man, that, that, that blows out my whole plan. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do think these cards are good. Like, I think Tithe Taker matters there, but you run into this problem over and over. Like selfless, selfless Savior is another card which should be very important and does a good job against things like Eliminate. But wild, this is how, just a how is really this not good come up for me? I mean, look, nobody played Extinction Event until this moment. Yeah, and that's fair. This is a card that hasn't seen much play, but now that it is, you realize just how much it catches, and the Exile Clause is so so meaningful on this card. Well, so then I guess what you need is like resilient threats and then the other side of things that they want to extinction event. Yeah. So, I mean, I think Legion war boss does that, right? It does a good job of presenting two split permanents with different converted mana costs. They have to account for. Right. Uh, but I mean, if you have like maybe annex or maybe tie taker, these are, these are both kind of like mopey examples, but it's like, say annex is your odd and then you have two evens that you want them to kill like at least you keep your annex around to be good against the spot removal later or like you know hit them harder after you play some more creatures so like you're not going to get the dice trigger but there there are ways to kind of work extinction event to where you get to keep maybe your best thing or at least multiple things and they have to kill your good thing if that makes sense yeah that's that's the best you can do against that card yeah so yeah, I don't. My my experience playing against Sultai has mostly come from playing like various adventures decks, and I just never check my graveyard. And it's <laughs> just, just like playing on arena. Yeah, yeah, that tracks. Not a lot of uh, dice triggers in the old adventures deck, or or graveyard interaction whatsoever. Yeah, that's wild. So scrap that. Dice triggers not not great. War boss making odd and even definitely great. And if you can find a way to like bait out their spot removal spell beforehand, even better. Uh, I know that people moved away from uh, Stone Coil Serpent uh, once Teferi was gone, but mm-hmm. Stone Coil, like people should just be playing it in mono black, especially if they have Demonic Embrace, because it's just like such a free roll and your two drop slot is already pretty medium and everything. So I don't know. That's that's another way to do it because that deck has a bunch of odds. Yeah, it does feel like the only creature that ever challenges most of what I'm doing, like its ability to shut down my Uros to brick my Hydroid Crisis, at least in some part. Obviously, you can still trample over the top, but it it does do a nice job mitigating a lot of the proactive stuff I'm trying to do. It fails against most of the removal that is being played now, now that we've moved away from Heartless Act and have gone mostly to like eliminate, Yeah, uh, but good against Aether Gust, so nice little pickup. But so that's that's fine, though, because, yes, it's it, like everything is going to die to something. Right. Right. And it's not like people have Teferi or something that you're brick walling, but it, it is still solid. It still has a good rider. It still fills your curve like it does a lot of tiny things that I think are really good. And it being a zero in a deck with a bunch of odds does help you. Yep. But regardless, it is it is just another one of those cards that is like not great against Sultai just because it's just this creature with power and toughness 
at the end of the day, you know, but it, it is, it is better than what they're doing currently. Okay. So I have had the most success with is specifically in the realm of adventures, mostly because of innkeeper and the aggro decks don't have anything like that. Like this thing that is just like so threatening that they have to kill it immediately. And you also just get the ability to like sandbag it for a couple turns if you want to, to like ensure that you get value. I mean, obviously they could use a discard spell or whatever, but then they have to take your one drop. Like that's, that's completely fine. And the aggro decks are mostly just about power and toughness. And that is the biggest failing here. So they need to be doing something else. So solid B plan seems like the way to go. You wanted to talk about two fundamental weaknesses, I think, right? We've covered this potential weakness to aggro. What do you see as the second point where these decks could really get hard punished? Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of weaknesses. I'm not sure which one you're talking about specifically. Oh, okay. the, ne- the next the next thing that I would go to probably is decks that can grind harder than them and go over the top of them. Yeah, so that was a lot of where I started in this format when I was just brewing, and it was a lot of trying to get big, hard ramp decks, trying to get to Ugin, things like Teamer Elementals. That's something that I just picked up as I saw floating around, but seemed to have the characteristic of... Here is a battlefield that is bigger and better than anything you can possibly do. And I don't think these decks have panned out for the most part. So why don't we talk about what they're doing wrong right now? So the, the first list that I pull up on Goldfish, I, I'm not sure if this is indicative of what everyone else is doing, but uh, this is a four Ugin, two Hydroid Crisis list and also is playing Urian, which may or may not be correct, but regardless, like, Ugin is not really the payoff that you want, and, I mean, obviously, like, you're trying to do Genesis Ultimatum stuff, so, like, you you want big hits, but I think Terror of the Peaks just kind of does a, a good job of that, and is also just an easier card to cast on its own, but, like, Krasis, if you're doing the rampy stuff, just seems like the way to go, like, kind of doing the thing that they are doing, but also being more proactive and having things like Risen Reef and even like Cavalier of Thorns counts, where it's just like you are developing and setting up for a longer game, but all of your cards are proactive instead of the really hit or miss interaction uh, that we talked about Sultai having. Yeah, my experience with Team Elementals has been... uh very reliant, I would say, on Terror of the Peaks. And not maximizing that card seems to be a bit of a misstep to me. I don't know. There was a point where like this felt like the thing to be doing in the format. I felt like maybe the most powerful thing to be doing. And then I think the Sultai decks just appropriately adapted. And thus far, that has been the story with Sultai in my eyes, is that they have found the moves to account for what other decks are doing. Even in some cases, almost stumbling into them, I would say. Uh, we're going to talk more about the specific card choices in Sultai as we move through this show. But I, I think some of the things that I initially objected to uh, have proven themselves to be right, not by virtue of like being good cards, but just the way the metagame has naturally moved. Basically, it supports the theory that decks are moving into a vulnerable place against these decks as opposed to actually challenging them on the axis they should be challenged on. And that goes back to Terror of the Peaks. Like, is this a very good deck on the battlefield? Absolutely. But in some sense, they're still a little bit beholden to just like, here's my thing and it's killed you in two turns. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. And 
I guess now looking through more of these lists, this uh, the Ugin Yurian one was more of an outlier. That was a, a 6-0 from a Red Bull thing. And most of them are like 60-card Terror of the Peaks ones. And these look solid to me. But, I mean, regardless, the thing that I like about these decks is mostly just like mana creatures and Risen Reefs. And then you beat up on the creature decks kind of like after that, you know? And, I mean, I guess these decks are all missing like Nissa Krasis, which is... Probably a mistake, but still. Yeah, maybe looking at some kind of hybridization of the most powerful aspects of the Sultai deck and slotting in the teamer stuff alongside it. I mean, that's a lot of fives, but I don't know. Maybe these decks push a little bit too hard on like the elemental package. Like everyone knows I love Cavalier of Thorns as a card, but do you have to go that route? Could that just be Nissa? I mean, most doesn't seem impossible. Most of these Cavalier decks would be playing alongside of Nissa, right? Like not instead of, and sure it's cute that it has creature type elemental, but I would much rather have uh, Nissa and Krasis in my deck. Especially, like, especially if you're trying to cast Genesis ultimatum. Like why would you not want Nissa in your deck? Yeah, it, it's tough because you definitely like want to pay off those Omnaths, right? And you want them to be doing as much damage as possible. But I think, if you were to shift to Terror of the Peaks as your engine card, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like at first these decks had like a Terror of the Peaks and then a second copy would creep in. And now we're starting to see four Terror of the Peaks in some of the lists. And I think if you make that shift, you can justify cutting back on the Elementals package somewhat. I'm not saying abandon it, but I do think you could make room for these really powerful cards if you wanted to explore that hybrid build. Yeah, I think I think Risen Reef is kind of like the perfect card against Sultai. You know, they're they're going to have to kill it. So you get to spend your mana proactively, force them to interact with it. They have to remove it. Otherwise, they risk just getting snowballed. And in the meantime, you're continually doing other things. It's just like, you know, building a bigger battlefield and setting up for an ultimatum or like terror plus something else. And I think if this deck had Nissa in Krasis, it would be much better set up to doing those sorts of things. Like obviously Krasis doesn't work with Genesis Ultimatum, but we still played Krasis in our Golos decks, you know, like it's, you're going to be able to find enough things off Ultimatum, Ultimatum to make it good. And I think Nissa just makes like Terror that much better too, because you get to play multiple things in a turn. Yeah, I, I wonder too if there just becomes a point where Ultimatum has some vulnerability too. It seems like the easiest place to challenge these teamer decks if I wanted to. You don't get any immediate return, obviously, on the seven mana investment if it's met with Disdainful Stroke or Ether yeah. Gust, whereas you can just hard invest into Hydroid Crisis. So maybe even that number can tr afford to trend down a little bit when you have these really, really viable late game engines. And I think that supports the idea of cutting back on Cavalier of Thorns as well. Because a lot of that is like, oh, I can rebuy this Genesis Ultimatum at some point, and that can be my KO punch. And you don't really need a specific KO punch when you're playing Krasis Nissa. Your whole deck's a KO punch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 weird to me. It's like I like half of what this deck is doing. Genesis Ultimatum is powerful, obviously, but when all these wedge cards were getting previewed, I mean, they just ran afoul of like every single color hoser, right? right. And we're we're back at a point where Saltai is playing main deck Ether Gust, and it's like, is this actually the best thing that we could be doing? I, I don't think it is. I mean, at least compared to Nissa Krasis. You have you have the added benefit of like if it does go through, you have the potential to just win the game outright. But that's about it. It has a lot of downsides. 
Anything else you want to offer me on the the big side of the scale that has caught your eye thus far? Uh, I mean, R- Risen Reef strikes me as very good. Edgewall Innkeeper strikes me as very good. And then just kind of go from there, I guess. I also think that like, maybe the format is too set in just like, okay, we're gonna we're just going to keep playing decks that are pretty bad against Sultai just because we have them or you know, we win like 40% of the time and maybe that's good enough. But like if Sultai actually makes it so the format does shift, which I hope it does, it, it just makes sense that it would at this point. And like these aggro decks start adapting or start being like a little bit different, then I could also see things just like uh, Demir Flash actually having a field day with Sultai. Like Sultai's got a bunch of spot removal, but you can build Demir with a bunch of different ways to like draw cards and, you know, counter the big stuff and beat them that way. Yeah, so when Sultai first started appearing, it felt like the punish was going to be Flash. And there was a few days of like Teamer Flash doing very well. I was here a few weeks ago saying I was very high on Simic Flash and all these decks seemed promising. As the Sultai decks shifted harder and harder into the triumvirate of power of Nyssa, Uro, Krasis, these plans became harder and harder to execute on because they just had so many must answer threats. But Demir Flash has some interesting tools it can use that things like Teamer Flash, Simic Flash really don't have access to. So that's an intriguing possibility. I've I've had that one in the the back back of my mind basically since it came out where it's like no no matter what metagame shift happened, I was always like, all right, like what well, what would it take for me to adapt this deck to succeed here? Like can it actually you know, is it time effectively? And yeah, it, it really hasn't been, which is why I haven't like written about it or even like talked about it all that much. But like, it's definitely something that I've been working on for you know months. Can you sketch the the broad principles of what your Demir Flash list would look like? Because you know people are going to ask. Are they going to ask? I don't know. So right now, the thing that I like, uh, especially against things like Mono Black, less so against Mono Red, but it still kind of helps there. Is but like Thieves Guild Enforcer as another cheap flash card. Uh, for Brian Board Cutthroat, if you play it, that's not uh, a hard lock or anything. And Slither Wisp, and then it with Brazen Borrower means that you can turn on Drown in the Lock more reliably. But also, like, we we just have a bunch of good removal from the last few sets anyway with, like, Eliminate and Heartless Act and stuff. So, like, you don't necessarily need that, but it does make your Counterspell Suite a little bit more robust, which is nice. And then... You don't really have enough flyers to play a bunch of lofty denials, but you could if you didn't want to play the enforcers. You just want to play like more sailors and brazen borrowers and stuff like that. You could just like play it as a quench, play like two of them. Okay. Uh, and then I I was very pro lowering the mana curve of the deck overall. Like I know that everyone just jammed like uh, four neutralizes and like one of the the five drop counter sharks and stuff like that. And I was not about that. Where do you fall on discard? Sideboard it. If it's even actually good. Like I think you would side in duress against Sultai. So it's probably worth playing, but any of the two mana discard, I would not mess with. Okay. You can't, you can't just be like, Oh, I have a brazen borrower and some counter spells because they're going to kill your brazen borrower and then outdraw you, you know, like that, that plan is just not going to work. You're going to need to have, uh, sailors and slither wisps and like a bunch of snowballing threats. 
a viable go long plan as well as the potential to steal those middle of the road games as well, where you just find early evasive threats and are able to ride those out. Yeah. And that's what teamer needs to be doing too. Like, I, I don't know uh, what teamer lists were like getting popular, but they need to have, they need to also have Nissa and crisis in them. Yeah. Uh, that's where my list started and it, it the cards are just too powerful. They're on another level and they're demanding their inclusion in all of these decks, which is a little disheartening like i think that's part of the tension too is people don't want to use these tools they (laughs) want to find new tools it's frustrating to be like this is the best thing to do when it's been the best thing for however long these cards have been gracing us with their presence now over a year yeah and that's that's kind of what this comes down to is you look at sultai and it's sort of you know this this tap out like Uro into Nissa into Hydra Crisis deck, but okay, what else are we going to fill out our deck with? So let's just do like some thought erasures and extinction events and casualties of war and casualties of war is good against no one, but whatever. And oh, we're going to get there. What I would like to see is just why aren't you just doing things like playing Risen Reef or even like counter spells and night pack ambusher or an edge wall innkeeper package or something, something that is actually playable instead of these cards that may or may not interact with what your opponent's doing. I, I get the idea is just, we'll slow the game down and Nissa crisis beats everyone until people are playing things that actually beat Nissa and crisis. And, you know, maybe that is like risen reef and Nissa and crisis that that's fine. Yeah. And I think that's the point we find ourselves now, both in the metagame and probably our discussion we spent a bunch of time talking about how we didn't like Sultai, you with harsher words than I used. And then we spent a bunch of time talking about how all these decks have a very difficult time beating it and how good Sultai is. So something no, feels a little not, off there. Not all the decks, just the bad decks. Which is what most of the metagame is comprised of right now. Well, I, they should fix that. Um Agreed. So, for example, uh, I think Gruel Aggro is better than Mono Red or Mono Black or Mono Green. Like, you you have haste threats. Okay, you're, you're already doing it. You're already accomplishing way more than any of these decks have ever done. Mono Red also has a very viable alternative path that people haven't explored in a long time. And that's the uh, Cavalcade deck. Right. And then... There are the adventures things, which are like kind of, you know, doing okay. But I think people are very locked into what the old versions looked like. And it's been so long since adventures was actually good that you can, you can start from scratch. Like that's okay too. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Because I I think that adventures is finding itself squeezed out of the metagame a little bit by Sultai and having played the Sultai side of things a bit comfortable in the matchup i'm sure that i'm taking advantage of skill disparities in a lot of instances since i'm not in high mythic and obviously adventure is a very very difficult deck to play so i am positive that as the player skill gets higher it becomes a tougher matchup but as it stands right now i feel very comfortable on the sultai side of things what are you doing differently than maybe like stock adventures lists that make the matchup more challenging well let's let's talk about uh stock teamer first because you, okay. you have experience in that matchup, right? Teamer Flash you're talking about? No, Adventures. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so my experience 
uh, with that deck and like, you know, why it just absolutely dominated Azorius control back in the day is that you have these card advantage engines, but you also get to function pretty well as, I don't know, kind of like a fish deck. Like you're not necessarily curving out like one, two, three or whatever, but it's like, you know, maybe you get in a chip shot with bone crusher giant, you uh, develop a little bit with, you know, like clover and uh, beanstalk giant. And then at some point you sneak in like a brazen borrower or the bone crusher giant, you start pressuring a little bit and then, you just end up using your mana a lot more efficiently than your opponent while also accumulating advantage. And at some point they have to like tap out to deal with your threats. And then that's when you get to start doing busted stuff like escape to the wilds, or maybe they have to like tap out to crisis and you just end up killing them by like wishing for Embercleave or whatever. Are they still playing Embercleave or no? I usually see fling. Oh yeah. That works too. You know, stuff like that where it's just like, you kind of just like get under them and punish their mana inadequacy. And I think that that's fine, but I think a better way to do it rather than like escape to the wilds, Fey of Wishes is again, probably just playing Nissa and Crisis. Another, another trip down the Nissa and Crisis path. And then you get an actual sideboard. Wow. You've been a Fey of Wishes hater from day one, but I understand where you're coming from. Like my, my point from the get go with this, format has been play the powerful cards and i think that there's a lot of people looking stray from that and it's the reason why sultai has picked up so many advantages is because they're the only ones playing the two most powerful cards right now no you're you're absolutely right but just because they're the most powerful doesn't mean that that's the only thing that you should be doing and part of my problem is you know i'm I'm recommending that a lot of these decks just adaptness and crisis right obviously I am a pretty big fan of those cards. I understand that they they are quite powerful and are doing well against what everyone else is doing. I just take issue with eliminate is the best thing to add to that. I do too. Let's get to my big problem with Sultai. Hit me. Sultai has the best snowballing threats in the entire format. And they have convinced themselves that they want to be this weird reactive deck when they don't have to react to anyone they get to ask the questions over and over and their questions are very very challenging to answer and for some reason we're still slotting these cards which just don't line up well with reality like two mana discard like thought erasure this card gets so invalidated in terms of like a card for card exchange as the game goes on and your whole deck is like let the game keep going on but we're still doing thought erasure stuff and a lot of it comes from being forced to challenge a very specific sequence of events. And that is an unchecked Nissa. And an unchecked Nissa in the mirror will run away with the game. And if you want to talk about a lot of the other bad cards, which are being included in this deck, Casualties of War. This is a card which is good against nothing in the format except game one Sultai. That's it. That's the only time I want this card. And now we've gotten to the place where this deck is so prevalent that like, even I am saying, okay, I'll play two casualties of war because I'm going to get this matchup a bunch. But before that happened, I had no idea why people were like maxing out on casualties of war because it's this exact same setup where you're just like, I'll play this very reactive thing that is designed to account for what my opponent is doing. But a lot of the time, if you're just instilling your own plan, you don't care what your opponent is doing. Your stuff is better. And all these reactive cards, which have crept into this deck, 
they should be the type that are designed to bail you out of your worst case scenario, which I think Extinction Event is a tremendous card for doing. Yes. It's exactly the card this deck needs in the four mana slot because you have to do something. There are draws that you'll just get completely blown out by. But then the other reactive stuff climbing up the curve, it does not make any sense to me whatsoever, especially when there's so many good proactive options that I've seen people pick up. And included in those proactive options, I would talk about cards like Narset and Tamiyo. Now, those aren't traditionally thought of as proactive cards. They're not changing the battlefield in and of itself, but they're moving you towards this snowballing game plan. And at the same time, invalidating some of the stuff your opponent can be doing as well, particularly right. in the case of Narset, shutting down you know, all the busted draws that they could potentially set up in the Soul Time Mirror. So I've been a really big fan of seeing those two Planeswalkers start to make the cut. And some of the other stuff going on, not as big a fan of. The biggest sin when it comes to this deck, playing less than four of Hydroid Crisis, Uro, or Nissa. These are the best cards in the format. For my money, I'm playing four copies of every single one, every single time. Agree with you, 100%. And if... That is the only sacred cow is that you should probably be playing all 12 of those cards. Is there a better package for it? That's the question we have to start answering. And I think you did a good job of proposing it over and over. There's a bunch of slots these cards can go and we might not have found the best home for them thus far. Uh, Interesting thing. I'm like going through some team or adventures decks and a couple of Japanese players are playing Sprite Dragon. Yeah, that became popular kind of the middle of this week. I started to see that happen. Okay, yeah, I don't like it, but it's like, Okay, that's cute, and they are recognizing that they they have to be the the beatdown in that matchup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, holy hell! Like fifteen one ofs in the sideboard that that's tough. Not not really feeling that. Demanding a functional sideboard. What is this? Twenty eighteen. We don't we don't have functional sideboards anymore. I want eleven Karn wish targets and four Vivian wish targets. That's plenty for me. Anyway, back to. Uh, Narset and Tamiyo and things like that. I mean, those are cards that, I mean, they are proactive, like they're, they're sorcery speed. You get to play them on empty battlefields, which is what the mirror is going to look like in the early turns. Right. And they are things that your opponent has to remove, maybe will be able to remove, but still give you a fairly sizable advantage. Yes, eliminate coming out, give gave you like an out to Teferi and Narset or whatever, but it still doesn't feel good to like eliminate your opponent's Narset after they already drew an extra card off it. And then if you're trying to not get ground out, I mean, Tamiyo is about as good as it's going to get. Yeah. So talk to me about how you envision these spell slots evolving over time. We've listed extinction event as a positive negatives for me are ether gust or excuse me. Ether gust seems fine. I, I am fine with that as a concession to like, the way these mirrors play out. And you're also picking up points against some other key matchups. So that can stick as far as I'm concerned. Uh, It's a new style of interactive spell. It has enough versatility where I'm good with it. I think as long as Narset remains popular, I am okay with small numbers of Eliminate. I don't object to that. The card that really has me scratching my head though is Thought Erasure. And it's really hard for me to think of any kind of game plan where that's the best way to go about it. And I mean, maybe it's as far as going to four Aethergust and that's how you challenge Nyssa over and over is just force your opponent to spend mana in inefficient ways. And that seems worth so much more than you spending your mana in an inefficient way during the early turns. And then maybe you open up some space for 
extra copies of Cultivate, possibly. I see a lot of these decks started with one, a few are floating to two now. And just as far as what the game is actually going to be about and what is actually going to matter, a Cultivate seems worth so much more than a Thought Erasure to me. Cultivate is gas. You definitely don't want to flood on ramp, but I would much rather play games where I get to play an Uro or a Cultivate on three than games where I don't. So I would probably lean a little bit heavier in that direction. I'm right there with yeah, you. Yeah, I like two. I think two is a good number. As, as far as Thought Erasure is concerned, I mean, you need to do something on turn two. And I mean, you don't need to, obviously, but like you would prefer to. And I think if we are saying that we have to stick with Sultai and we want to be able to break the go-long paradigm of Nissa and Krasis, Thought Erasure is a decent way to break it up while then still being able to uh, progress on like turns three, four, five, etc. And like Aether Gust is fine because I, especially with it, you can do things like play Nissa on five and then still have Aether Gust open off a of breeding pool or whatever. So I think right. that, that that's reasonable. But it'll if if you're trying to like sit back on Ether Gust or like let your opponent actually resolve one of their things and get a use out of it before gusting it off the battlefield, that's probably going to be a losing proposition for you, uh, especially if you skipped turn two and, and just didn't do anything. Whereas you know just going like Erasure or Cultivate Nissa like that that seems quite good to me. So I, I agree that Thought Erasure is basically good good against no one, but it does fill a hole in this deck. What if we instead used our two-drop slot for mana? There's a couple of options. Ooh, I think Grow like, Spiral? Well, unfortunately, they took that one away from us. I would but play Grow Spiral in this deck. There is Wolf Willow Haven, which is like... Look, there's a time not long ago where it seemed like we were never getting a two-mana accelerant again yeah. that wasn't a creature. And I, I think Haven's like, fine. It's acceptable. It is another target for casualties of war, but whatever. That's not what I'm going to consider. In, in a with. lot of different ways. <laughs> yeah, but it is another thing to do with your two mana slot. It's a little bit more proactive. One of the things I was doing early on was Paradise Druid. And like, sure, there's some anti-synergies with your extinction events. You might get punished there. But also we talked about like the Planeswalker onto the open battlefield on turns three and four. Well, starting to put some pressure into your deck can change that paradigm a lot. So now you only get one Narset activation when you play it into a Paradise Druid. I like that a little bit. I would explore that. Again, it just seems like proactive ways are the way to go. And the thing, the way this deck started was with Joel Real. And I get why that card fell out of favor. It is clunky when there's a lot of spot removal floating around. You don't like want these easy payoffs for it. And it is very vulnerable to extinction events. So it, it doesn't do exactly what you would like in the mirror, but it just shows there's like two mana options that I think we're passing on right now, which can play better with the overall game plan of this deck. And I don't know if we're getting talked out of them by concerns with Extinction Event or if we're just thinking about this deck the wrong way and trying to build it. You know, we keep calling it Sultai Control. I, I think that's a misnomer in some ways. Like, Maybe it's built like that now, but the optimal version of this deck doesn't seem like it should be a control deck at all. It seems like it should be a classic mid-range deck that is able to play an occasionally aggressive game plan. And not to say you're going to be winning on turn four, turn five, but like, should you win some games on turn six or turn seven? Absolutely. You have powerful threats and there's no reason why you can't build the deck in that fashion. 
Yeah, I mean, after the bans, this deck was more of like a rampy casualties of war deck, and I definitely saw a list that didn't have Nissa because yep. I don't know. It's like it's like it's weak to people attacking it or whatever, and then people were just like. They, they would play like their two Nisses and their two Krasis and be like, oh yeah, I am rediscovering now how good of a combination this is. Maybe I should go harder on this. And now we're at a point where it's like, nah, you, you play four and four and I'm pretty sure that's the correct way to go about things. So yeah, it's not, it's not really a control deck anymore. It is, the decks are definitely slanting uh, more toward mid range and basically come to the same conclusions that we have where it's like, it is good to be more proactive I don't know. Maybe maybe things continue down that path where people do find a good way to fill out like the two and three drop slots with maybe things like Paradise Druid and Risen Reef or uh, different interaction from different colors or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, Narsa too, I suppose, is another one. But regardless, this deck is definitely moving in a more proactive direction. It just not as as quickly as I would like to see it. Right. I guess that's my frustration is that it just seems like there's a lot of hangers on that are stuck with the mode of, oh, this is a control deck and you just don't have to play games that way. Your cards are so powerful and can be both the aggressor and a defensive setup at the same time, which is when you really maximize the mid-range deck, when you have access to both those plans. Ooh, it feels like I, we're on the cusp of getting there. I think I figured it out. I think I figured out why I dislike this deck. Okay, And it's basically what we talked about, where it's like, over time, people realize that it should be more proactive, but they only got halfway there. It's just uh, self-aware wolves. Lacking an identity right now? Well, no, it's just like, you're, you're, you're just so close to like actually figuring the thing out, but you're not quite there. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe that's the case, or maybe we're wrong again after all this discussion and, uh, you know. What, what do they call us now? We're boomers, paper boomers or something like that. Yes. Yes, we are. We are paper boomers. We have boomer APM. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think that's the case here, though. Something about this feels different. And we've been pretty open about the idea of like magic is changing and we've missed some of the steps along the way. But this doesn't feel like a magic has changed thing. This feels like a we're honing this deck to a fine point thing. Yeah. And there's still some more steps to be made on the way there. Yep. The other thing that I want to note is that the thing that I beat up this deck with the most was Golgari Adventures. And it was basically because of Edgewall Innkeeper plus pressure. So you had a lot of things that were must kills. You had things like Questing Beast that, you know, have haste, keep applying pressure. You had a lot of different ways to gain card advantage. And one of the first lists I played, which was not necessarily that good, was uh, Joel Rail and Village Rites, because you, you do have like a, a decent amount of sacrificial bodies and a decent amount of ways to actually trigger Joel Rail. Mm-hmm. And that package was pretty good against Sultai. Like, obviously, Joel Rail is a little bit awkward against Extinction Event, but the deck already had a bunch of bangers at odd. So having something where they actually need to name even is completely fine. Yeah, that, that's a cool little setup. Going forward, I'm not sure that I would I would have that package. At least I, I think I had like three of each in, in my first draft or something. And that might be a little bit too much against the format at large, but it was still sweet. Questing Beast does strike me as a generally solid card against this deck, though. And I, I'm sure that's where Mono Green Aggro is getting a very large percentage of its wins right now is just like being a good Questing Beast deck. 
Likely, and I mean, Gruel Spellbreaker is not that bad either, and that that is what would make me want to actually play Gruel against this deck, but it has a lot of problems that we talked about before, has a lot of mana issues, has the normal Gruel problems, you know, but I don't know. Uh, like Golgari Adventures, you have card advantage clock, and then as many drill bits and duresses out of the sideboard as you could possibly ever want. You have decent Planeswalkers. I mean, like, you're, you're just, like, really well set up to beat up on like Nissa crisis spot removal. Nice. Well, let's see if that picks up some steam. It there's gotta be some churn to this format. This is not the be all end all. It just can't be. I can't take that again. We, we need some churn and some uh, innovation and something fresh to unseat the King. Basically Kings have taken their throne recently and just not gone anywhere. And that does not work for healthy magic. I am ready for a functional standard. Speaking of, do you want to assign a score to this standard? Someone asked me like what I thought of the place we have finally arrived for this standard. And I was giving it praise. I've, I've been happy with it. But uh, if I had to put this on a 1 to 10 scale, this is still like a 3.5. Like this is, this is pretty bad, but we floated around like a 1.5, 1 for a while. So I am happy to take a 3.5 for a month or so. I think if I came into this format with fresh eyes, just like right here in this moment, I would be like, why are the aggro cards all so bad? Why are the ramp cards so good? Like, yes, I can play. I shouldn't say that I can play these decks. Like I can register decks with different strategies, you know, but like they're, they just fall a little bit short or in some cases a lot short. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, it's interesting to think about, but then you like play the games and it's kind of miserable. Like, I don't know. I'd probably give it like a four. It's still better than affinity standard. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's like a super low bar or whatever, but. Well, the bar has been low for a little while, but I'm glad it is slowly starting to raise up to a, at least acceptable level. Yeah. I, I think if I, if I like quit magic for 10 years and came back to this, I would be sort of intrigued by it but would quickly get bored. What about when I tell you there's like six amazing Simic cards that are also banned and this is the best deck? Well, it's the best deck right now, but I have faith that that is going to change. However, the next best deck will probably be another green deck. Yeah, it feels like it. So take that or leave it however, however you want to. I don't know. At the very least, though, I know that there will be churn in the format in four weeks. Is it that close? Are we only four weeks away? I'm pretty sure. I think we had six weeks after the BNR. Okay. But but yeah, also I, like I the, think I saw that previews are like Labor Day ish, so we're like four weeks out from previews. I can I can do that. I was getting a little nervous while we were having this discussion. I was starting to feel that dread creep in. But I, I think I can make it four more weeks waiting for a rotation. Yeah, and interest is gonna drop off anyway, you know? Right. You know, the tournaments are all going to play themselves out and then it's going to be like, well, standards rotating in two weeks. I don't really want to play it anymore. And then one week from rotation, no one's playing it. So it's like we got we got two two weeks of this, maybe. Yeah. And we have a few other fresh formats. Why don't we commit to talking about a little Pioneer next week? It feels like it's been a while. And uh, I think that format's really good right now. Yeah, dude, I'm in for that. Pioneer is sweet. Nice. All right. Every week. We solicit the fine folks in our Discord for their burning questions, and we try and answer one that is smart and insightful and ideally not something that we've answered on the cast already. 
<laughs> so, I don't know. This this week's question is a little different. It comes from Mahomie Cave Dan. Uh, Cave Dan and I both grew up in Minnesota, played Magic together, and he now runs a successful podcast called the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Go check that out. Uh, Cave Dan, maybe most well known for spreading like the Niv Mizzet Reborn love, helping to mm-hmm. popularize that deck. But Cave Dan, always thoughtful, wants to know why is white the weakest color, what would make it stronger? And the first thing that came to my mind was that white has definitely gone through a bunch of changes over the years as far as what parts of the color pie it monopolized. And basically where it ended up on is that it does a bunch of things and does them all poorly in comparison to everyone else. So either you need to cut out a single slice of that pie for white and make it so that white is the best at doing this very specific thing, or you need to come up with something new. Yeah. Uh, it feels like a Jack of all trades right now. And it's just so far behind every other color in all of them. It used to have the best creatures, the best small creatures, and then that went away. And then it was the best removal for a while. And that has gone away and that doesn't really feel quite on brand with flavor. So I understand why, but it does seem like that's the thing that is lacking the most in magic right now is just like quality removal spells. And in fact, one of the things that I thought was interesting was what if white is just the color of like planeswalker removal removal specifically? And it tries to do that to some extent with things like banishing light, but I want like swords to plowshares for planeswalkers, like just go ham and completely take a shot at what has been a very, very oppressive card type in Magic for a few years right now. I mean, I don't know if that really solves the identity problem. That can't be your entire identity, but it's something. And right now, white just feels like it has absolutely nothing that it's doing all that well. So I think it needs a pretty dramatic overhaul if it's going to be long-term a healthy part of the game. Like when white gets out of balance, it feels really bad. We just had like a really mono white focus format and it was not good, you know, probably better than a 3.5, maybe around like a five (laughs) range. Yeah. In general, I think you shouldn't aim for white weenie to be your best long-term success deck. So I don't know. It, It does feel like there's more to do with life gain. Like life gain has always been a strategy that casual players love and look to maximize and, I get why you don't want that to be the focal point of your constructed environment, but maybe some way to better leverage your life total is what's needed. And it doesn't feel flavorful to spend life on things as white. So I don't know, maybe like imbuing things with your life total, like strengthening things by dumping your life essence into them is the way to make it feel whiter. Uh, I'd have to think about this a little bit more, but it does feel like the focus on health and purity has gotten away from the white color pie. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's it's mostly just like tacked on to uh, commander-centric things or as riders onto various cards and isn't really uh, a main focal point of things. I, I think a lot of reason for that is just how miserable the tracking is for yeah. just like, you know, constant life gains. Like think of something yep. like Prism- Prismatic Talisman. Pristine Talisman, that one. Pristine that, Talisman, yeah. Yeah, that, that card was annoying as hell. And that, that that was a colorless card. Like, white white would do that job better. 
But I don't think things like Hearthstone have like divine shield on their white color pie ish creatures. Right. And it's like, that's something that is missing from magic where it's like this creature has a little bit of protection or like battles a little bit better than other creatures. And I think that that is sort of missing from white. And I do like the taxing nature of it, but obviously you can't, you can't make those things really stack because then you risk locking your opponent out of the game. And yeah. it's it's really not super fun. But like taxing very specific things like Tithe Taker, it's like, okay, that's kind of cool. But it's got some tracking problems too, though. I think. It does. Like that's what always gives me pause when it comes to taxing. Yep. Yep. No, that's true. Uh, but then like for Tithe Taker, it's just like the body's not that exciting. And you would want that to be on a card that you are happy to play with, especially for such a fringe taxing ability, right? Yeah. And yeah. obviously the afterlife helps a little bit, but it's like the stats on it aren't good. It's it's just going to die all the time. And then when it dies, the tax goes away. So like, I don't know, what are you playing it for? Like Grizzly Bear that makes a spirit? I mean, that's that's not a card that really gets anyone excited. So yeah, I don't know. Like maybe playing stuff up uh, more in that vein. But I think about like all the, the hate bears that have ever come out too. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is meant to solve a very specific problem, but the body is just so bad that it's not playable. Yeah. Or the tax is so narrow that it's not playable. And then there's stuff like Thalia where it's the perfect mix where it generally doesn't affect you. It it does affect your opponent in a meaningful way, but they're not stackable because it's legendary. And she has first strike and she's human, so she gets to benefit from random human lords and stuff. And it's like, that is, that is just like a perfect example, like slam dunk white card. It really is. And it's funny because it's like, it's thought of as a very high power level white card, but like, I think that's a completely acceptable power level for white to occupy. And I also think the last year of magic would have been way better if Thalia was the standard card. Yeah. Like there would have been meaningful pressure on the early game that simply has not existed in the absence of an effect like that. So Again, my concerns about taxing are still there, but in terms of like how white can meaningfully impact the type of magic we're presently playing, Thalia is it. Thalia is the card that is really missing here. Yeah, I mean, think think about how many months we went through with like Oko or Team Rec where people just didn't play spot removal. There was like nothing yeah. worth killing. And if you did, it was like Aether Gust because it was fine in mirrors. And yeah, Thalia would have actually put pressure on that. Other thing is like Adanta Vanguard, which is, you know, mm. in in theme with vampires, but not necessarily with white as far as paying life. But like even Season Hollow Blade, where it's like, these are creatures that can brawl and they're resilient and they come at a cost, but like you're willing to pay that cost to keep up pressure or whatever. And I think white could use a little bit more of that. Uh, you probably yeah. don't want all 20 or 30 creatures in your deck to operate like that because that'd be frustrating. But yeah, just put some of the power level and things like that. And then you, you actually get to make choices against them too. Like, is it worth it for me to spend my lightning bolt to tap your thing and make you discard a card? And you know, like that's yep. actually interesting. Yeah. That is one of the things that feels like it's been missing uh, again in this period is just like meaningful trade-offs for what you are doing. Like, how I'm going to respond to you. Can I afford to let you do your thing? It's just like, well, we're just both going to do our things and we'll see who comes out ahead in the end. It's less about getting thrown off your intended path and more about whose intended path is best. Yeah. It's very similar to modern in that regard, but right. modern has, it's a bigger format. So it has more tools, more counterplay, 
more ways for you to take a, a proactive approach to beating an expected metagame. You know, like there are answers for almost everything. And in standard, we we definitely did not feel like that was the case. It's so funny. I keep thinking now of your point, like Thalia being the perfect version of the card. And it's funny because it's like problematic how good it is. Like you can't do that stuff in many other ways than the way Thalia does it. And you can't just reprint Thalia over and over and over. So it's this really tough spot where you want to do that style of effect, but you're, when are you, you going to get a legend that comes down on turn two and taxes everything? Like it's just Thalia every single time. Yeah. And I, whatever. Make her, make her the poster child for white magic cards. I don't care. Evergreen Thalia. Yeah. New Colossal Dreadmaw. Let's do it. I'm in. Uh, the, the other thing, like you talked about uh, being able to kill Planeswalkers, and it made me think of the earlier conversation in regards to Eliminate versus Narset and how, yes, Eliminate is above rate and it kills Planeswalkers, especially these problematic ones, but at still at a, a downside, you know, disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And White did some amount of like balancing and stuff like that, equalization. And I don't know, there could be a thing that's just like, you know, two mana, kill a creature or a Planeswalker if that Planeswalker has either been like activated once or activated twice or like has an amount of loyalty more than starting or end less or whatever, you know, some writer like that, but then, you know, tack on draw a card, like if then mm. draw a card. And that, okay. that could be like, you know, kill your planeswalker, recoup some of the value that they already got from their planeswalker. It's interesting. It's, it's very low hanging fruit, but like, I, I feel like if any color would be able to do that, it would be white, but I, I really, you know, in the Vorthos of it all, I don't know how anyone uses like a terror to kill a planeswalker or whatever. It seems kind of absurd to me, but whatever. Yeah. I will not profess to be an expert on those things. I, I have a sense of it, but the nitty gritty details of spark elimination definitely escaped me. I don't know. It's Jace is never going to get killed by an eliminate or a Vraska's contempt or like, dude, can he teleport? I assume you can teleport. Whatever. If not, he's invested his energies into the wrong kind of magics. Yeah. Yeah. That's game. Good luck.